What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, hello, and howdy, everyone. Welcome to Rotten to the Core the history podcast where I take a bite out of some rotten people. We go into their upbringing, their actions, and mental afflictions, trying to form a better view of how they became, well, so rotten. We've covered some people who I believe were born rotten, some who chose to be possibly from bad life experiences themselves. But what about someone who had to become rotten for her own survival? Surrounded by enemies her whole life, Queen Elizabeth I had no choice but to become rotten to keep her life, her crown, and ultimately her country safe. By the end of her life and a bit of irony, she became some of her actions, literally so rotten from the inside out due to her sweet tooth and vanity. With her use of a heavy white lead-based makeup that those she allowed close to her could smell from a distance. You've seen the painting of her with her beautiful, flawless face. Well, the face beneath it was far from what you see in the portraits. A queen's gotta do what a queen's gotta do. No shade and no tea here. She was one of history's greatest queens, but that's what we do here. I've learned about the good, now let's find out about the rotten. Together, on this episode of Rotten to the Core, Queen Elizabeth I. I'm your host, Josh Waters, and thank you for joining me. Now first, don't come at me for this one. I know she is one of history's greatest leaders. I've had a mostly healthy obsession with her for years. I mean, come on. That makeup, those gowns, the jewels, and she was a powerful queen. How could I not? I'm not coming to play down the great things she accomplished during her lifetime. I, as always, want to know the whole side of the story, especially when it's someone I've been an admirer of for so long. I'm not here to attack her, only to learn something new in the whole story. Now, grab your biggest bottle of hand sanitizer, maybe some smell-good spray, and let's travel to September 7th, 1533, to the town of Greenwich in southeast London in the county of Kent. A new princess was just born, and ahead of her would be a fulfilling life of great purpose. But along the way, she made some pretty rotten choices. 
Queen Elizabeth lived a life under constant threat of death or imprisonment. The first few years gave her a glimpse of a peaceful life spent in the country, away from the corruption of court, and cared for by loving maids. She was the youngest daughter of King Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, Henry's second wife, out of six. The young princess would soon lose her mother by beheading under her own father's orders, all before the age of three. This is just the beginning of that type of loss for Elizabeth and how it played a huge role in her life. Well, that and seeing her father have his wives killed so often, she learned that as a woman getting married meant that she was no longer herself, but her husband's property. Giving away her hand in marriage would mean giving away her power and possibly even her life. I did speak to my mom a little bit about this and the role of women in marriage. She is in her mid-50s, and even when she married my father for those few years in the late 80s and early 90s, it wasn't a lot of a choice even then. They grew up occasional acquaintances, and she said she was raised learning that is what you do. Her parents wanted it, his did too, and pressured them into a marriage of obligation more than one of love. He was from a good God-fearing family and she was too. What could go wrong? I can't imagine the pressure on women in the 1500s, let alone a princess. Just from what I know about their lives, they were meant to be pretty, obedient ladies that were to be married off to strengthen their kingdoms. Rarely for love, mostly young teenage girls to old men of power. They were to marry, breed, and obey. I'd be resilient to it as well. More like over my dead body, honestly. So I can't imagine the pressures that women felt then. Even in today's society, they still feel that pressure. But even for just a princess where this is your purpose... Elizabeth would grow to see her father marry four more times, with each one not lasting long. (laughs) And now all that was before her father met lucky wife number six, lucky in the fact that she survived. Catherine Parr became like a second mother to the princess, showing her kindness and I believe genuinely growing to love her. When King Henry died in 1547, Elizabeth went to live with Catherine and her new husband, Thomas Seymour the Lord Admiral, and King Edward's younger, Seymour-related uncle. Catherine was always very kind to Elizabeth, from being personally involved in her education to her great influence on her husband, King Henry's passing of the Third Secession Act in 1543, which restored both of his daughter's claims as heir to the throne. Perhaps the closest thing to a mother that she would have, Catherine seemed to me to be a loving woman, something not often heard of at that time in history. Living at the home of Thomas and Catherine Seymour was a happy time in the young princess's hard life, but soon after moving in, she would start to be preyed upon by Thomas, who would often visit the princess's chambers at night whenever he had the opportunity. There was so much about her life that I could not find out exactly what all that entailed. But we can use our imagination as to what a grown wealthy man, hungry for power, would do to a 14-year-old naive princess who could be his key to becoming king one day. He would often visit Elizabeth's chamber, starting first with creepy caressing, 
but later turning into molesting, and I believe even rape. The current rule when a blood monarch marries, that person is either king or queen consort, or princess consort was the future title of Camilla. The current queen herself just recently declared that she will become queen consort when her husband takes the throne, when the current queen passes. At the time of Elizabeth I's life, since she was a woman, whatever man she married would become king and take away her power, something Elizabeth would fight to keep for the entirety of her lifetime. What most people believe is what Thomas Seymour was doing is called sexual grooming, which is a predatory process in which a perpetrator gradually gains a person or organization's trust with the intent to be sexually abusive. The victim is usually a child, teen, or vulnerable adult. Thomas was trying to groom young Elizabeth into submission so he could gain power, something karma would come to bite him back hard for later. In a turn of events that would at the time be difficult for Elizabeth, but later a stroke of luck, Thomas was seen by his wife Catherine when he was molesting and kissing on Elizabeth in their home. Catherine, of course, was upset at her husband for what he was doing to the young girl, their marriage, and trust that the princess as well. How could this girl that she had helped and given so much to betray her in such a manner? That same day, Elizabeth would be asked to leave their home by the very pregnant Catherine. I think Catherine was hurt by her initial sighting of what she saw, but I honestly believe she didn't blame Elizabeth and had her leave to protect her still. The custom at the time was when a pregnant woman was getting close to labor, she would usually be contained in bed with only a few staff to assist her. Disease ran rampant at the time, and it was safest for the baby and mother to remain as healthy as possible. I did find out that one out of every 20 women died of childbirth in the 1500s, not to mention the ones who died afterwards from complications. Sadly, that would be the case with sweet Catherine. The day she saw Elizabeth and her husband would be the last time the two would ever meet. Catherine died on September 5, 1548, due to complications from her labor, leaving Elizabeth with one less friend in a world full of enemies and giving Thomas Seymour the freedom to continue his disgusting, predatorial grooming of the future queen. Have you ever had an acne breakout come at the worst possible time? The struggle is real. It didn't matter what over-the-counter acne products I'd use, if something important was approaching, I knew I needed to be extra vigilant, or I'd wake up with a surprise breakout. In my attempts to prevent it, I was actually only making the situation worse. I really didn't know my skin or the correct products that I should have been using. I learned that I have combination and sensitive skin. My forehead was shiny and my lower half was dry from shaving daily. The products I was using were only working for half of my face and exacerbating the other half. I just wanted to have clean, beautiful skin in my 30s. Is that too much to ask? Not with apostrophe. Before I was flying blind in my skincare routine, it was completely a I hope this works type of situation. With apostrophe, I got a treatment plan tailored to me by a real dermatologist. I didn't need to schedule an appointment. I simply answered a few questions about my skin and what my goals with it were. After that, I was matched with my dermatologist, 
I sent her a few selfies, and within 24 hours, I was issued a prescription for what will work best for my unique skin. Even better news, there's no pharmacy trips. My products were shipped directly to my front door. God, I love convenience. We've all had struggles with our skin, and that's why we are excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of this episode. We have a special deal for our audience as well. Save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com core when you use our code core. This is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com core and click begin visit. Then use our code core at sign up and you'll get your very first visit for only $5. That's apostrophe.com core. And use that code CORE to get your first dermatologist-crafted treatment plan for $5. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Where is everyone now? First Josh, now Mama's gone too? What on earth could they be doing? Best fiends, best fiends, best fiends. Who, Who said that? Download Best Fiends for free! Gosh. Oh, oh okay. Uh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Everyone in my house is now enchanted by the free-to-download casual mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. With over 100 million downloads, we're not the only ones who can't put it down. The adorable and quirky fiends and I have defeated so many slugs. And boy, are they salty. I'm almost to level 3,000, and I never want it to end. All the cute levels and different challenges, tools and characters, Best Fiends is like being in another world. Perfect for any time and any place, Best Fiends can even be played offline. I love waiting for the seasonal and holiday challenges and to see all the great exclusive in-game items, characters, and rewards. Download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, before we go further, let's take one minute to learn some royal protocol. At this time, Elizabeth was fourth in line for the throne. Before she would ever rule, there was her younger brother, Edward, older sister, Mary Tudor, and cousin, Lady Jane Grey, who were all in the way of the throne. Upon the death of their father, King Edward VIII, the male heir and youngest, Edward became the new king at the age of nine. Upon his death from illness just six short years later, he named Lady Jane Grey as his successor, even though she wasn't a child of the former king. Her reign wouldn't last very long, though, only for a very brief nine days. With the support of the English people, Mary would quickly unseat Jane, who was eventually executed for treason, and claim the throne herself. Elizabeth supported Mary's claim, but there remained a veil of suspicion around her as well as constant watching eyes, for she was now second in line to the throne, and in the eyes of some, the one who should be wearing the crown. The sisters had a cordial relationship, but the crown is thicker than blood. 
Being only half-sisters, they couldn't have been more opposite from one another. Mary was dark-haired, and from what I can see, she basically was her daddy in a wig, looks-wise. Meanwhile, Elizabeth was red-headed and was adored for her looks since she was a baby. While I do believe that planted the seed for disdain for her sister Mary, the biggest and most influential difference was that Mary was a devout Roman Catholic and Elizabeth was Protestant. Well, what's the difference? Well, if you don't know a lot about Christians, they all worship the same God. There are a lot of branches of worship, and they all believe the way they praise is the way that God wants. During the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church was judge, jury, and executioner. The Pope was basically God. I'm not putting that lightly. Now, what's the difference between Roman Catholic and Protestant? I had the same question because I did not know. I grew up Southern Baptist, so Catholics and Protestants I really did not know much about. And honestly, there was not a lot of difference for all the bloodshed that did occur over the two. Roman Catholic churches were richly decorated with lots of statues and artwork. Priests also wore beautiful, rich garments, and Mass is said in Latin. While Protestant churches were plain and simple, with no artwork or statues, their priests dressed plainly, and the services were spoken in whatever language the people spoke. So basically, the Pope was afraid of losing his cash cow and would let the streets run red with blood before he would give that up. Queen Mary sought to restore England to her faith, undoing her father's turn from the Pope. Elizabeth would go along with her sister's religious change, and she would be the only candidate for those seeking to return to the Protestant faith. The penalty for openly practicing any faith but Catholicism was usually torture and death. Coming out as Protestant put a target on your head and a time limit on your life. You can see at the time how this big difference between the two sisters would cause so much friction and distrust. When someone becomes king or queen, it is deemed as God's will and choosing. When Mary became queen, she literally saw it as God saying, I have chosen you to save the Catholic faith and the souls of the people of Europe. She would end up burning over 300 Protestants at the stake for hearsay in her short five-year reign, earning her the name Bloody Mary. Have you heard of her? Well, you can imagine how afraid Elizabeth must have been during those five years. Even more after, in 1554, one of her supporters, Thomas Wyatt, organized a rebellion against Mary in hopes of making Elizabeth queen and restoring the Protestant faith. Of course, his plot was uncovered, and Mary quickly imprisoned Elizabeth. Although she did dispute any involvement in the conspiracy, her sister was not convinced. Although she was soon released, Elizabeth's life was firmly in her sister's hands. Wyatt was executed, and he maintained that Elizabeth was not aware of the rebellion. The effect of all this on Elizabeth must have been immense. Certainly, it took its toll emotionally and physically, and Elizabeth was sick for some months after. However, as well as affecting her health, it also affected her reputation, and this was of great concern to Elizabeth. She was always very sensitive about what people thought of her, and she wanted the rumor that she was pregnant by the Admiral suppressed. 
After the execution of Wyatt, Elizabeth returned to her childhood home, the Palace of Hatfield. It had been a long, torturous, and extremely dangerous road from heiress, then bastard, to a suspected traitor. During this time, the old palace at Hatfield was a place that Elizabeth retreated to, fought for, and called home, before eventually finding some semblance of safety through inheriting her birthright as Queen of England. Now, this woman was not like most of the other episodes I've done. There was so much information on her childhood, but I picked what I think would have affected Elizabeth the most as an adult. It was the 1500s, and the age of being grown seemed to be around the age of 14. She was, in the eyes of those back then, a grown woman for nearly 10 years before she would become queen at the age of 25. Young Elizabeth was no longer that naive, scared little girl. She was very brilliant, and she knew the easiest way to win a man over. Flirting. If that didn't get the result she wanted, well, she would simply outsmart the men trying to control her and her power. The reign of her sister Mary was bloody and short, with the heir of the crown unannounced until the last possible breath of her life. Mary, as I said before, was a very devout Roman Catholic and would murder any Protestant that she found out about. She wasn't the most mentally sound person, to put it lightly. She was married to Philip II of Spain, and it was a marriage for power, not one of love for him. But for Queen Mary, it seemed that love was really all she wanted the most. A few years into her reign, Mary became pregnant, and she was thrilled Hopeful for a boy and an heir to rule instead of her sister, she was probably jumping for joy. She had what seemed to be a normal pregnancy up until the time it came for delivery. As I said before with Catherine, at the time women would hold up confined to chambers a few weeks before their due date. Well, Mary did just that and started to experience labor pains. Weeks would pass by, though, and no baby was ever born or even existed in the first place. Mary had sadly experienced what is called phantom pregnancy, and that is when a female's body convinces itself that it's pregnant, and women can even lactate during it. We all know doctors didn't have the best knowledge back then, so it was more common than today. I mean, a lot of time they couldn't even tell if someone was really dead, let alone pregnant. This would have irreversible damage to Mary's psyche, though, and tarnish her reputation. People started to see the 38-year-old queen as not mentally stable enough to lead. Mary knew that, and it sent her paranoia into overdrive. Before her death, Mary believed that she was with child again. She had a lack of menstrual bleeding, tender and swollen breasts that lactated, and her body began to swell. It wouldn't be a child growing, though but what people believed to be ovarian cancer. There was also an influenza epidemic at the time, and probably from a combination of both, Queen Mary died in 1558 at the age of 42. And like I said before, she waited until the last moment to name Elizabeth as her heir, dying, leaving a Protestant on her Catholic throne. In November of 1558, Queen Elizabeth, first of her name, was crowned and finally found some security, no matter how short-lived it would be. 
The crown wasn't the only thing she inherited from her sister, though. Elizabeth was very educated, speaking five languages, naturally incredibly intelligent, determined, shrewd, and beautiful. The country she was newly in charge of was at war with France, and the religious divide was causing her people to turn on one another. She had a major task ahead of her, one she was very equipped to accomplish, but would also lead her down a path to commit some seriously rotten actions to keep her crown. A quote from the queen herself, The past cannot be cured. We cannot change what was done, but we can learn just as much from the bad as we can the good, especially with someone like a queen. Well, everybody, this has been the story of the early life and childhood of Queen Elizabeth I. But wait, you may be thinking, uh, she didn't do anything rotten yet. And you're right. There was so much information on her life, almost every day has some type of record of her comings and goings. That is why this is a special two-part episode instead of a two to three hour long one. I also love a good cliffhanger. So please join me on our next episode to discover the rotten actions of Queen Elizabeth I and hear how the Virgin Queen kept her crown for 44 years. I'm your host, Josh Waters, and thank you for joining me on this special two-part episode of Queen Elizabeth I on Rotten to the Core. Cheerio! If you would like to stay up to date on current episodes of Rotten to the Core or have suggestions for future ones, please follow and like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, Twitter at Rotten in History, or just go to itsrottentothecore.com. Thank you and have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.